ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, this week I sit down with a couple of my TAP team members, Pat and Amber Casey. Uh, We talk a little bit of titanium archery products, a year-long obsession, and the work that goes into it. Their 2019 elk hunt and chasing those dinosaurs as a husband and wife team. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Amber and Pat Casey. Good evening, folks. I appreciate you guys joining me. Um, Why don't we jump right in and give us a little background. Um, I'll let you decide who goes first. (laughs) All right, I can go first. yeah, so uh, I I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and I grew up rifle hunting deer, um, grouse hunting, fishing, and uh, never really got into bow hunting until uh, 2005. So I've only been bow hunting seriously for 14 years. Um, so yeah, that's been I've learned quite a bit over over that time period. Um, then uh, met my wife Amber and moved down to Lower Michigan, and we got married, and we've been uh, we've been down here uh, past couple of years now. I drug him down here because it was better whitetail hunting. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm originally from this area, just east of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, just grew up with two older brothers. My dad always hunted hunting and fishing my whole life, but I actually grew up riding horses, so I didn't get heavy into bow hunting until like my early twenties, kind of late teens, early twenties. Mm-hmm. Shot my first deer when I was like seventeen, but it just you know life happens, and I now regret not getting into it sooner, which sucks, but. Um, no, just enjoying it. We just got into elk hunting a few years ago, and that's definitely trumped everything that we've done. Oh, that yeah. really consumes us now. 
365 days a year, but yeah, it's just awesome. We can, we can do it together and spend a lot of money on hunting gear together and (laughs) spending money on hunting gear. That's actually (laughs) not a bad, it's not a bad problem. It, it it is (laughs) (laughs) not for pat because if pat if pat didn't have you going with him he would have to sneak stuff in the house so i guarantee you it's not a bad problem (laughs) yeah it's a double-edged sword it really is but i'd rather have it this way than you know me being married to somebody who wasn't hunting or i'm sure vice versa right yeah, I don't have to build up uh, brownie points to go do stuff that I want. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a rough one because you hear that you hear that a lot. You know, guys are like, "Oh, the wife is you know going to let me go for four days," and you know, oh, she's <laughs> mad at me because I've gone two weekends in a row. And I'm fortunate; my wife doesn't hunt, but she knows that hey, there's you know nine months out of the year where yeah, I'm thinking about it and focused on it, but I'm not doing it. So when it's that three months, I'm lucky. <laughs> I, yeah. I got a winner. <laughs> See, the other bad thing is, though, is like he says, Oh, I'm going to go on a fishing trip. I'm like, Oh, when are we going? He's like, mm, No, it's a guy's trip. So, you know, that kind of sucks on my end. Or I'm like, Hey, I'm going on an antelope hunt in a couple of years. You can't go. <laughs> so, so, it, so where's the middle? <laughs> That's actually that's actually an interesting conversation, right? So where's the middle ground? And and I understand that, you know, maybe there's not as many women's camps, but you see that growing more and more, right? It's, you know, quote unquote, the fastest growing demographic in hunting. So when does that come into play? It's actually not a women's camp I'm going to. It's a company I'm with that we're we're going out to hunt. But the middle ground, we I mean, for the most part, we do everything together. So it's, it's not really, I mean, you go on your fishing trip like once a year. Yeah. And that's and just for the UP, which is really nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And, and this trip just came up recently, but in between, I mean, we're, we're always fishing together. It's yeah. I am going fly fishing in Montana with a girl though. There you go. We're, we're starting to spread out a little bit and not lean on each other so much. So, okay. So I'm, I'm not trying to start anything. So (laughs) (laughs) famous last words. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the truth? So Pat, (laughs) where, what, where's the difference, right? I mean, it has to be, it has to be a really good thing, right? I mean, we say it, right. That, you know, your, your wife is your best friend. I'm hunting with my best friend, things like that. But where's, where's that line in the sand? Where's the difference of, you know, going out with Amber and then going out with the fellas? Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. I mean, Oh, you go up for rifle seat. Yeah. I mean, I, I go up there, but that's mostly just, uh, just to get together. Cause there's really not many deer on the East end of the UP, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get jealous of her going and doing stuff by herself, especially like these other things. And I mean, I actually might get the chance to go to Montana in the spring for bear hunt. I was going to say up until like literally the last couple months, we haven't really had the opportunity. Like we, we talk to different people. So like I have the opportunity to do a couple things that don't involve him. And now he 
opportunity to do something. So up until like a couple months ago, we all together. But we're kind of, you know, meeting different people, talking to different people. So he's like, hey, I want to go bear hunting. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go fly fishing. <laughs> and That's awesome, though. That is awesome. Yeah, we're kind of not parting ways. That's a bad, bad term to yeah, use. Yeah, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> not on this podcast. Which, we're not going there. Yeah. Which part of that sucks, too, because I really want to go fly fishing in Montana, too. But <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's a girl I met. And that's another thing is, you know, meeting, I'm meeting more women who are involved in the outdoors, which is awesome because I can go, I can stay at their house and it's just, it's a blast. So I'm like, no, girls, girls trip this time. That's, <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm a proponent of growing that and seeing that. So I think that's, yeah, that's stellar. Yeah. And I just got, I mean, up until this year, it was always a group of guys, you know, stuff. it's, it's all guys women so it's it's refreshing and nice to be able to have these opportunities and meet more women like that so yeah he probably won't he won't be seeing as much of me during the year because <laughs> i'll be like oh i'm the here and i have to stay home and watch the dog i was gonna say oh. so if there's no kids are there dogs involved because somebody's gonna be left on the sideline here and there yeah i'm doing the uh the the point the finger down at at me kind of thing that Blake Shelton does on The Voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome though. That uh, the the fact that you guys are, I mean, you know, you're taking a, a vacation, essentially a two week vacation to go chase elk, um, is really what you know, amongst other things, is really what stood out to me, and I and I love that stuff, you know. It's actually what we highlighted this year when we were out there because we had a cameraman for a company and just like he was saying, you know, we put all of our eggs in one basket. Essentially. We don't, don't do beach vacation. We don't do any other vacation. You know, this is our vacation. Hopefully we can fill the freezer type thing. It's everything wrapped into one. So and that bonding time, I mean, so we'll talk about it, right? That's one of the bullets is chasing dinosaurs. Quote, unquote, bonding. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, really, when you go through the amount of mental that you do chasing elk, that amount of physical, the mentals in my head, the mental is a way bigger factor, right? By day three, yeah. when it's rough, the voices start. Um, yeah. Oh. But to yeah. share that time and persevere through that stuff, that I, it, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose any man points, but that's huge for a marriage. I, you know, my boy went with me this year and the bonding time that we got in those 11 days was second to none. So I can't, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I, to tie the relationship, the marriage into that hunt, I, that has to just be, yeah, that has to be stellar. I think that's where, a lot of stuff surfaces good or bad. Like I found out that I am not the mentally strong one in the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> like when we're not seeing elk for days or hearing anything, or I have a botched opportunity, he's the one that's picking me up. Otherwise I'm just like, I want to go to the bar and drink. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to continue. 
but he's like, no, you know, stop your whining. We need to continue, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it was this year was tough, though, just because, I mean, I'm usually pretty mentally strong. I mean, I, I could probably attribute that mostly to like growing up and playing every sport possible. And coaches, I mean, they're hard on you, but they, they build you into the person that, that you become. Um, and after the first week, I had the white towel half out of my pocket. And, and that's when, when he was talking about it, I'm like, no, one of us has a straw. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But that's what I'm saying. It, that is some of the toughest mental struggle you're, you're going to go through. I mean, in, in hunting, it, it's those dry days. Yeah. Yeah. And we had never, I had experienced that my first year elk hunting. I didn't see anything for a week, like nothing. But after that, we had awesome years and we just, we got a little complacent and didn't really have a plan B. And we were so dead set on that property and it just, you know, it hit us hard and it was a reality slap. So you brought something up there. I'm going to kind of bounce around. So didn't have a plan B. And I found myself in that same situation is I put all the time in, you know, e-scouting and, and getting on maps and learning this area and, you know, making a 17, 18 hour drive to go get eyes on the area. So you it's really hard not to put all your eggs in one basket, especially when you live so far away from your hunting ground. Um, Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like how much effort do you expend in a plan B? Right. Yeah. I have a hard time thinking about 2020, not going back (laughs) to the same area. Right. Yeah. And we kind of know now some of the areas around where we hunt like the private land that we hunt so it makes us feel a little better at least because it's within like an hour hour and a half so it's not a terrible drive and we got some good intel so i'm kind of thinking i'm like why didn't we do this before well the tough thing is our back pocket the tough thing is it's like we know how good this property can be and it can change literally overnight like you might get 50 head that move into the area overnight so yeah. you're you're constantly in the back of your mind well it might change tomorrow yeah and that's happening our first first year out there yeah yeah our first year out there we didn't see or hear and out for like two or three days and we got snowed off the mountain we got snowed off the mountain and we're like all right let's go to bed tonight. tomorrow morning drive and come up with something we had a herd of elk wake us up in the middle of the night and bugling all night and then we were on elk for like three days so like we said it it can change overnight Mm -hmm. so it's it's hard it's a lot of decision making that i hate doing yeah because because it's like if you leave and you drive an hour someplace else set up camp again and then try and scout and and learn I mean, you could, you could put three, four days in potentially. And then what if they move back in and the other spot you're just at? Right. Yeah. That, that's the rough call. That's why I had a hard time pulling away from where I was at. I think we ended up doing 40 boot miles. Um, 
and and we would you know we would find an area and i mean just loaded with rubs fresh scat you know urine just great sign and you know you'd, you'd want to work that area again well it wasn't productive the day before yeah you saw a sign okay let's do a loop and then we'll zigzag back we were doing these big giant i just the only way i can explain them is like the olympic rings and we would make these rings and then we would zigzag back through the ring. And I mean, it just became religious to where it was a ring and then zigzag. And then it's like, okay, there's, there's five different areas that are, that's covering, you know, almost 20 miles, 25 miles. Which one do we go to? <laughs> it's, it's all yeah. equal sign. You know, it's the, yeah. Oof. You want to talk about it's some a, mental beat down. I say it's a game. It's like, Oh my God. I'm, I'm in the middle of writing an article right now. So. <laughs> and that's, so did you guys come, you come get home, excuse me, and start mapping out next year already? Not really. No, it's like we, since, since we now need meat for the freezer, we jumped right into whitetail. There you yeah. Go. <laughs> and then I decided to wound a doe and not find her on Saturday night. So that was just great for morale for me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, well, uh, we kind of have some areas in mind and that helps uh, just, you know, kind of knowing where to go. But we'll we'll dive into it this winter. Yeah. And there's we got a couple contacts out in Montana, too, that um, we can kind of touch base with and get a few other ideas and um, at least have plan B, C and D if we need to. Yeah, we also have to try first, yeah, though. That, too. <laughs> You have to what? I, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. To draw a tag first. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's always fun. I mean, you know, non-resident, non-resident tags aren't cheap. And then, okay, so that, uh, there we go. Another thing, you know, you put that time and energy in that area and you're crossing your fingers for that tag. So are you guys plan being on the draw? So do you have like an OTC that you'll go to or? Well, my first two years of Montana, I bought over the counter. And then after that, we bought over the counter our first year, which would, would have been my third year. And then after that, they sold out every year. So we had to we had to get drawn. Because Montana limits their non-resident tags to 17000 So the last few years, probably thanks to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's been a pretty hopping state in my opinion, to go to. So now, even though it's a general tag, you still need to apply for it now. It's They don't have any like, oh, August, there's 5,000 tags left. Let's go, you know, hunting in Montana. It's not like that. Yeah, that's kind well, of everybody's gone to Idaho and Colorado with that, I think. Well, Idaho sold out. They're over-the-counter tags this year, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, Colorado doesn't cap it. So, right. And then you got to deal with muzzleloader hunters there, which, gosh, I don't even know if I'd want to mess with that. Yeah. You know, that was, that was a bit nerve wracking, right? We were there for a couple of days prior to muzzleloader opener. And, you know, we have, we had a decoy with us. And when the opener hit, I was like, man, that decoy, you know, prior to that, that de- we'd be right behind the decoy. And uh, once once opener hit, it was just like, yeah, set the decoy over there because <laughs> you just don't know. Right. I mean, everybody's geared up for, you know, for this one month. You know, they got I think it's two weeks of muzzleloader. 
it's unfortunate, but guys are shooting at a bush blowing in the wind in some instances. You know, it just it just gets crazy. It's it was a little I was very apprehensive to walk around with that decoy after opener. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like reaping turkeys. I mean, Michigan doesn't <laughs> allow you to do that um, even on private land and other states allow it. But I think you see a lot of people get hurt just by doing the, the, the reaping for mm-hmm. turkey. Hunting. Yeah, it's uh yeah. Then we could do about it, but I will say that that muzzle loader makes it uh, makes it interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure they just scatter once they start hearing shots. Well, I couldn't tell you because nobody was seeing any hook where we were at. <laughs> <laughs> and and the plus was, you know, that Colorado has really good road and trail systems. I, I well, okay. I got to qualify that a little bit, I feel like, right? Really good in the sense of access. Not so good when you're trying to hunt elk and you think you're in an area and there's a 50 inch or less trailhead um, that you run into four or five guys on. Um, yeah, exactly. And a lot of the muzzleloader guys were either on quads or, you know, motorcycles or they were staying to the roads. So it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, but it hmm. was, again, it was, you know, it was still pretty scary. I think the whole time we were there, we heard one shot and it wasn't even near our main focus. Um, the one day we were kind of beat frustrated. So we took a, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hour drive down the way, looking at another area. Um, so what about elk chasing dinosaurs? Um, what, what, what draws you guys back? Uh, the, the screaming bugles the that bugles. haunt your dreams 365 <laughs> days out of the year. Give you goosebumps. <laughs> I just, I love it because I mean, I like turkey hunting. So I kind of equate elk hunting and turkey hunting close to the, the same because it's so much fun to interact with them, especially during the rut. Yeah, it's it's funny because Western guys, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they were it was a bigger podcast and they were talking about like Western guys take offense to us comparing turkey season and elk season. It's like <laughs> come hunt eastern turkeys and you will understand because they're really hard to hunt over here. Yeah. I was going to say, Pat, you're pissing people off when you say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just about to say it. Then Amber started talking. Um, I, I, yeah. So I so get there's been guys here in Michigan that have gone out to Montana, whatever, turkey hunting in the spring. And they're like, you could walk up and like pet them. They are so dumb out there. They're not educated like they are here. You actually have to hunt them out here. Oh, but you, out guys west. Are, oh you guys are starting stuff right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. That's just what I've heard. So I, I get the comparison um, to a point, right? I, I can't compare anything to elk. Like I'm in love with elk hunting like you wouldn't believe. Um, You've never hunted? Yeah, I've hunt, I, I hunt turkey every year. Um, I, I get the comparison and I know guys that out here, out West that would agree with you, but there's, it's, it's kind of a stretch in my head. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm more like the, the interact part, like right. learn, learning the talk. I mean, I got stupid deep into learning the, the elk talk and I mean, I I really got into like the elk nut stuff and listening to every single podcast I could from Corey Jacobson and that 
that stuff intrigues me more more than anything just the the talking and the language um between the like elk and turkeys i mean it's instead of sitting and waiting you actually have to communicate yeah that and i think that's the draw for me with the elk but that's one of the reasons that i'll hunt turkey too and then like with turkey i I can't and i treat it kind of the same but i would rather call turkey locate them and then spot and stalk them then sit there and and you know cluck on a box or cluck on a diaphragm hoping that they walk by that tree that's just not uh that's not my stick at all i gotta i gotta create the opportunity waiting for it just drives me crazy yeah i mean that's uh, and that's the other part i like it's like you're actively hunting them and you're out there walking around and doing different setups and compared to tree stand hunting, which is boring as heck. You just gained points back from this side of the nation. (laughs) Was it last year? No, it was two years ago, right? 2017. Yeah. Our first, like, we had a phenomenal year elk hunting, and I had my, you know, first encounter. I missed a big bull at 20 yards, blah, blah, blah. So we got back end of September. White tail season here opens um, archery October 1st. And I I think I didn't sit in the stand, like, mid-October. I'm like, oh, I'll go out, you know. It's about that time. And I sat in that five minutes, and I texted Pat. I'm like, this is effing stupid. Why? We <laughs> stand waiting for something to come back. <laughs> so we struggle. We we struggle with it now. So, it's like elk hunt, turkey season, and then whitetail is the- that. We'll call it your wasted by elk, right? Because I have a. a- I've had a few guests and I have a lot of people that I've talked to back and forth when they hear this conversation and they'll say, oh, I, you know, I'd love to come out west and chase big mule deer. or I'd love to go chase elk, but there's nothing like, you know, a cold November morning um, sitting in the tree stand. And I'm like, I, I just don't get it. There's so so many guys that we know that are like that too here. It's like, oh yeah, I love Chase Nelk, but God, you just can't beat those white tail. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it has to. It for me at least, it is. It's not just. It's not just the bugling. I mean, that's part of it, right? That's a huge part of it because that it pierces your soul and you are hooked forever. But there's yeah. something about chasing elk through the woods. I mean, even with, you know, chasing mule deer or blacktail here, it doesn't compare to pursuing. I would I don't think I would ever chase a, a deer for 11 days. Yeah, no. It's just something yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'd love to put a finger on it. I just, you know. <laughs> That's a rough one. Nothing like session. Oh man. So with the elk hunting, I, I, how do you guys go in? Right. So one of the bullets is going in as a team. How does that play out? Who's the caller? Are you guys taking turns calling? Do you, do you decide who's first shooter? How's that all work? <laughs> so because my husband loves me, um, he's the caller and I'm the shooter all the time. <laughs> yeah i mean i just got lucky last year because we had we had elk bugling all around us and 
we were probably 15 yards apart and never made a peep just because they were so close. Yeah. We didn't want to let them know where we were at. And I just got lucky because the one that I ended up getting locked out, yeah, just stepped right out in the field, um, this little pocket field for me. And, but yeah, normally, I mean, our first year we went out, I called in a bull for, um, which was super fun. I mean, even though, even though we didn't get it because I ended up taking a shot at it, even though I thought, I thought it was dead just because I was behind a big pine tree calling and I heard her shoot and then he ran down the hill, but he came out. I hit a branch. (laughs) (laughs) He came out for me at 60 yards and I'm like, well, he's dead, but I want to put another arrow in him. So I screwed up because I didn't take my time like I should have. And I hit him and I hit him high. And, uh, then I found out that my shot was the only shot that hit him. So that was kind of a bummer, but it, it was cool to call him in. I mean, I, I love calling. It's, it's fun and exciting. Um, especially now it's like, I'm trying to get, get her one now. So just me doing the calling. I mean, I'm fine with, if I get lucky that something comes by me, I'm obviously going to take a poke at it, but, um, I like the calling part of it. That's, that's part of the challenge for me, man. When you get a, when you get a good scream back at you, don't you just get ramped? I mean, you just, you're just ready to go right over the top and chuckle over them and lip ball over them. I mean, it just, man, I get pumped up. Oh yeah. I get, I get pretty ramped up, but then, then my, my other side of my brain's like, okay, what did that bugle just mean? What right. is he saying? <laughs> does, does he pause? What do I need to say back? Where do we need to go? And, <laughs> well that's i mean that's a lot of that's i mean really it's 90 percent of that game right is understanding like you said earlier the language and and getting into that part of it um yeah. the, on the other side of that though when and at least this is what i learned this year when you focus on when you focus on that so much what happens when they're quiet yeah exactly right? i mean you're lost yeah you, you're you're going okay what do i do i mean we had these like low off do i have oh yeah let me see we had these low audible bugles i'm trying to get this tube here Let's see I got this. that were just i mean it was let me see if i could do it real quick my diaphragm's dry <laughs> that was that would be as loud as we heard and as about as long that was it Yep. Over the wind, and it was just like, what in the world? And then that they wouldn't do anything else. So I started trying to mimic that. I started cow chirps and you know doing lost muse and regathering muse. And it's like, damn, they're quiet. And I found myself scratching my head, going, what do I do? Yep. (laughs) That was the same way. We even like the second to last day or something. Well, we. A bull came came in on us. Like it was so windy, we didn't hear him. He snuck up like fifteen yards behind us and took off. Um, but then, like a couple hours later, both of us are like, "Screw it!" We made the most noise that we could. Like raking, I'm cow calling. You know, just set, like a breeding sequence mm-hmm. for like ten minutes. Nothing. Not a not a bugle. Not 
nothing. And it's just, it's so frustrating because same thing. We look at each other. We're like, well, now what? (laughs) (laughs) Do we stalk around the woods and hope? And that's what, I mean, that's really where we ended up was like, okay, we're just going to go beat trail. You know, we're going to, we're going to move as swiftly as we can, but as cautiously as we can. And we're just going to scan every bit of everything to try and, you know, a chance encounter is what we were hoping for at that point. Because yeah. the silence, I mean, it left me scratching my head. And I did the same thing. I would, I'd go over and I'm like, okay, I'm not hearing anything. And I just start, you know, raking on a tree, you know, scraping the ground, raking on a tree, you know, really low audible huffs and grunts, just trying to elicit any response. And it was just like, man, oh man. Well, even there was, there was one day where, uh, we took a four wheeler up to the top so we could drop into some dark timber because the hike was just Brutal. ridiculous. And, um, we walked all the way to the other side of the other property and it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. We stayed out there all day. Cause we didn't want to hike back to camp and then hike back into that spot. And I'm like, well, we're not going to want to go up there at nine o'clock at night and go get that four wheeler. So cause it's like a two hour hike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'll take off right now. And I'll go get it. Stay here. And, um, so yeah, it took me about two hours to go get it. I came back down and I brought it to him within like a mile of him. And Amber's like, well, bugle, let's see if anything lights off over here. And granted, it's the wind is ripping. So I rip off a bugle and I'm like, did you hear it? And they're like, no, we didn't hear it. So I'm sitting there and all of a sudden a bull chuckles behind me. And uh, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, well, I guess I'm going over that one after that one. So I, uh, I started going up there and I, I never heard a single cow mew the whole entire time. That was weird. Yeah. And I didn't, so I didn't think he had any calls of them. So I'm, I'm cow calling and kind of trying to get him fired up with some cow calls. And then, uh, it sounded like he was coming closer. I heard a couple of thick breaks. He was like 80 yards above me at and, uh, well, then he started, he started moving away and was bugling away. So, and then I started, him. I'm like, dude, that's a bugle. And the cameraman's like, what? And he, but same thing. He, he actually bugled quite a few times and he got close. That was the one I had at like 80 yards, but I, I thought it was the satellite or just a lone bull, whatever, that didn't have any cows with him. And so I'm running, you know, trying to cut him off because I heard him coming down the hill. And I look up and there's like 15 freaking cows standing there. I'm like, how did I not hear you women mute? I'm like, what is what is going on? Yeah, those cows never mewed the whole entire time, really. And so, yeah, so they took off. Long story short, ran down the mountain because they didn't go that far. I heard him bugling still, so we continued to pursue him. And he's in this two track in an open area, couldn't really stock up on him. He was still within like 150 yards, no muse, absolutely none. So we thought he was going lower, so we snuck below him and waited. And uh, the only cow I heard was a contact buzz. That's all I heard the whole two weeks. I'm like, that is weird. Like to be that close to a a herd too. But he was bugling 
head off. That was the most bugling we heard the whole entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was quiet. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, and I, uh, we only had one, one encounter with a small herd. I think there was four cow and then, you know, a real nice five. Um, and that's when I was saying it expired as fast as, you know, the opportunity came. It was like, you know, crossing paths. And You're like, what? yeah, when they they busted and they kind of went high and circled around where well, we held down and we saw them coming, you know, down on the other side of the dark timber. So we kind of pressed in a little bit and the cows would they would mew. It was just like a single chirp and then, you know, do it back. The bull never, it was like, Hey, I'm over here. If you want to come over here, come on. But we have no, we have no interest in coming to see you. The the cows never looked over at us. Nothing. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's crazy. And outside that's of how that, yeah, outside of there. that, that was the only, the, I was four cows the entire trip, which was very odd. I mean, we were finding fresh sign left and right. And and Man. to see no elk and it was just yeah, it was something else. Yeah, and it's like you bust your butt all winter and summer just to be in the physical shape to do what you want while you're out there. And then yeah, that's when your mind just gets you. So uh, there's another good thing is is okay, so we talk about the physical preparation, right? And and it's not just, you know, running, lifting weights, cardio, things like that. But it's, you know, getting out and shooting the bow, making sure that you're able to shoot these angles. Um, but the one thing, you know, or even even the, with the calling, right? Practice and sequences, understanding the language. But the one thing that we really don't tap into much is the mental aspect of it. How do we prepare ourselves for the mental aspect of it when it's day three and it's as dry and then it's day seven and it's even drier. And then, you know, two weeks later, you're going, man, you know, how did, how, how do we, I think it's one of those learned experiences that you have to just go get your butt kicked to walk away from it and kind of have an expectation to lose. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, I don't think there's anything that will prepare mentally for that at all. Until but it happens, the first un- time. Until it happens. Right. I mean, it, it kind of happened to us the past couple of years, but I think because we go so long in between hunts, I think we forget what that feeling is. And you just, you know, physically, you know what to expect. You deal with it all year, blah, blah, blah. But mentally, you don't get that low. Like for five days. <laughs> that was, you said that perfectly, right? Because I didn't. I wouldn't even put it that way. But you don't like, and that I'll be using that. You do not get that low all year long. And when you're getting your butt kicked out there, it's just like I, I kept having to literally tell myself. Don't listen to the voices. I mean, that sounds crazy as hell, but that was how <laughs> that was my self-talk. Like, all right, don't listen to the voice. Keep going. It's not that and bad. I, and I still think it's I shouldn't have put it like you don't get that low. Oh, that was perfect. That was perfect. <laughs> you, get, you get low. Like, for instance, my grandpa passed away earlier this spring. So it's like you you get mentally low but in a different way like it's totally different compared to like personal bad experiences or family of what you just you don't experience it except for once a year hopefully never 
well, here, I, but <laughs> I was uh, I was pretty low mentally because I I had rotator cuff surgery in January, and the surgeon told me, "Oh yeah, you'll be pulling sixty five pounds by June." And well, June came up, and I you want to talk about a mental um, a mental strain trying to rehab after that. And I ran into some other issues that weren't, weren't related to what they fixed, but in the same show. And I didn't pull 65 pounds, which I pushed myself to do it until the end of July, something like that. So I almost wasn't even sure I was going to be able to pull a bow back this year. And I'm like, eh, you got your elk. It's all good. <laughs> you can call for me. <laughs> yeah. So where, that was tough. Yeah, that that one that's scary, right? Because that going back to the anticipation of elk season, I mean, we're we are chomping at the bit right after at least for me, right after you get back, I'm already I'm on the way home and I'm going, okay, 2020, what am I doing different? How am I gonna start preparing? Yep. You know, so mm-hmm. to so to go through that all year and then yeah, man, I wouldn't have been happy at all. <laughs> Oh, I didn't start shooting until the end of May, and that was only at fifty. What's <laughs> what's legal weight in Montana? I don't think there's they, a weight. Yeah, in there, is I it? think it's forty pounds, forty or forty-five. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's pretty low. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, right? Is you know, tune the setup that way. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was my other option. I mean. um, which sucked because I had just built a set of arrows for uh, for sixty five pounds, and um, I'm like, well, do I need to buy another half dozen arrows and set them up for like sixty? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, honestly, that's that's where I would have been um, more so than you know worried about not going, and that and that's crazy, right? Because what what's half a dozen arrows when you start setting them up for elk and you're looking at you know heavy arrows front up you know high foc etc cetera, etc cetera. um it's not cheap i mean it's definitely it, oh. we're not in in a cheap sport <laughs> definitely not <laughs> so that's yeah that's a hit and then re you know setting the bow up reciting the bow that's yeah i don't uh, well, envy that it was funny because i bumped up my i bumped up like two pounds after shooting for like two weeks so i was up to 56 and then i shot 56 for a while and i'm like all right, I need to, I need to at least get to 60. So I got to 60 and I went to set up my pins. I got a five pin site and, uh, I start shooting and my pin gap was so huge because I'm shooting 540 grain arrows. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm like, well, I'm just going to throw a flyer and bump it up another five pounds to 65 and just go with that. And luckily I was able to do it. Um, and I was able to get everything set up in time, but I still, I still felt a little unprepared because I wasn't able to shoot long distance as long as I wanted to, like for as, as many, for as many arrows as I wanted to put it that way. Um, so I was a little scared about that because I'm practicing out to six to five yards most of the summer. Yeah, we were kind of, we were kind of a mess this year because he had that, and then I had shoulder problems, not shoulder surgery but I went to therapy 
And then I got a new bow on top of that. So I wasn't really shooting until June or July. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're so not prepared for this season. How did <laughs> but that, it worked How did that play going into the woods, right? Because confidence is everything when you especially within with your equipment right and in archery going out there at least for me going out with any question to my ability will wreak havoc on me oh yeah well and we switched releases <laughs> where we were we switched to a back tension and then a thumb release like july yeah <laughs> and it we actually our confidence was up pretty quick we got you know we buckled down we got everything tuned, everything tightened up. We started shooting a lot. And, you know, within a few weeks, we were 50 yards without a problem. So, I mean, we I, we felt good going into the season. It talked to us in July, not so much. <laughs> and I ended, I did the opposite. I All last year, I shot with a thumb release and then... I don't know what made me do it. And I think it was just wanting to just have my release there. Right. I mean, it, for me, the opportunity on elk seems to expire a lot faster than it does on deer. Um, and I was a little, I don't know why I was so apprehensive. I had so much time with that release and I went back to my wrist rocket and I was like, you know what? I, I, I went, put it on my bow and I'm like, okay, am I going to have to make any adjustment? I made a minor adjustment, um, to my D loop. And then I was like, I'm rolling with this. You, you know, it's funny you say that, you know, you just wanted your release there because the couple encounters or opportunities we had this season on those bulls, you know, I had my, my thumb release in my pocket, you know, easily accessible and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to clip it on and let it hang so it's there. I found myself, you know, you're running, uh, you got a knocked air, running up and down the mountains through oat brush that's five foot tall through God knows who, you know, or what else. I was looking down like every three steps to just make sure that drop it. it bumped and fall down. <laughs> and that was part of my thought process. It was like, you know, I'm going to be going and, it, you know, it's just, it seems like it's so much faster than deer hunting. And that really, really concerned me. And I've been shooting a wrist rocket for 20 years. So it was like, well, I, I don't have target panic. I'm not really worried about that. I wanted, you know, I went to the, the thumb to see if it helped improve the archery. And it was, there was a small improvement. It wasn't huge. Um, but yeah, I was so apprehensive with going in the elk with, I ran around deer season for two months with, with that release. And at the last minute it made the switch. Oh, nice. Yeah. I had, uh, I think both had target panic. I know I had issues where I draw back and my pin would settle below the, the target that I wanted to hit. And it took everything in my power to try to get that darn pin back up where I wanted to shoot. And then once it was there, then I punched the trigger and I was, I was shooting well. I mean, I could shoot out to 70 yards, no problem and hit three inch groups at 70 yards, but switching to that thumb and the hinge, I, I think that made a, a big, big difference, difference for me. Yeah. And it's, I mean, really that, that is, that is growth in what we do, you know, is, is moving up and, you know, getting those surprise shots and whatnot. But yeah, I was just super apprehensive about it. I, I it was just the weirdest thing. Huh. That's surprising. 
So <laughs> it's so used to it. Yeah, and I think that's part of what it was, right? Not, and it wasn't something that I needed to do again, right? It was like I, I want to try and I want to improve my archery, and that's really what it amounted to. Um, but not having not having a, a huge difference. If I would have went and you know I'm making you know 60, 70 yard shots, and I went from a four inch group to a two inch group or something, then I might have said, okay, this is where I need to be. But my my shooting, the the improvement was so small that it didn't matter to me. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. Amber said, you know, I keep my I keep my release in my bino harness. Um, yep. And that was one of the things I noticed in deer season was I was constantly like, where's that little bit of shiny red? Always looking <laughs> at it. <laughs> so um, with elk, right, we again, we prepare all year. We we just pour everything into training and learning and, you know, trying to grow as an elk hunter. But what do we do about our expectations going in the elk woods? Ooh, try not to put them too high, kind of stay. I like to stay positive, but stay level-headed too. I mean, you got to stay humble. Yeah. It otherwise. So for instance, the last two years, we've had awesome encounters. That area is littered with elk, blah, blah, blah. So Pat got his bull last year. I was very, very confident going into this year. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll finally punch my tag, whether it be a cop bull. And then that opens doors for next year, whatever. Don't have to go elk hunting. So that was a big, like, that knocked me down a few notches. Yeah, smack <laughs> in the face. <laughs> it, uh, more than a smack in the face, but yeah. I mean, that's exactly where I found myself. And that, you know, that's why I'm asking, because you really have to temper your expectations with them. I mean, I, if, if, if you would have told me that, that I was going to come home without at least my son punching his tag, I would have told you that you're freaking insane. Yeah, (laughs) I would have told you that you were insane, but wow. How important is it to temper those expectations and realize that, we, we, as much as we do, we were really not in control of that situation. Not one iota. We could be better, but we're not in control of that situation. I mean, yeah, I think if, if you go in too high and yeah, you're excited and you want to feel excited and you want to feel confident, but I think if you go in too high, you just get slapped in the face and then you just get pissed. There was a couple of buddies of ours, Adam and John. They went on their first elk hunt last year, like ever. And they, they had a very good mindset. They put three goals in mind. Wanted to hear an elk, see an elk, and have an encounter. They weren't like, oh, we're going to notch tag. You know, we're going to double up first day. Yep. Or <laughs> where that's our goal is to come home with meat in the freezer. That was not their, you know, they didn't expect that at all. And I think a lot of people need to have that mindset. Yep. That's hard, though. Yeah. 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 That is hard. I mean, you, you, again, going back to it, you, you watch all the videos you get on, you know, Elk Nut or Elk Calling Academy and you, and you, I got this, right? I understand. I understand the gist of it. When I get in the woods, I'm going to put this, you know, to work perfectly. 
And then again, you go, uh, you know, like I said, going back to it, what happens when there's silence? <laughs> damn it, Michael Batiste. Damn it, Paul Mandel. <laughs> you didn't teach us this yet. <laughs> yeah. You didn't tell me that elk can be quiet. <laughs> I had the, I had a conversation with Michael uh, when I got back. I think he called me like three or four days after I got back and he goes, tell me about it. And I said, silent SOBs. They, they were not talking and I had zero expectation and preparation that they would not be talking. It was, yeah, that was a, that was an eye opener for sure. Well, it's like, uh, you can almost compare it to studying for an exam. You do all this preparation and you think you've got it down. And the questions show yeah. up. You're like, oh no. Yeah, everything just floods <laughs> out today. I don't know what that one. Totally and different. We kind of we tried to make the best of it. Like I said, we became really good friends with the cameraman that was out there, so that was fun. We went to town and got drunk. Got drunk a couple <laughs> times, and we got because we ran into quite a few whitetail whitetail does. So. Changed gears, picked up a white-tailed doe tag, and just to have that in our pocket, we glassed for antelope one afternoon, found a big buck. So it's like you kind of got to seize every opportunity that you see, even if it's not elk, if it's, you know, it's quiet. Just have fun. Try to do something out there. Well, keeping it in perspective. That that's yeah. right. I mean, that's super hard. And I had a friend recommend that. He's like, look, man, if you guys are just getting beat, you know, take an afternoon, make the drive into town. He said, there's nothing like a big old fat cheeseburger to make you smile. So we drove into town and we had a big old fat cheeseburger and some uh, waffle fries and a whole pizza. <laughs> and it was uh uh, it, it took it away. I mean, for a moment, right? I mean, it, it definitely helped lighten the situation, but then you're right back out after it. And you know, that pizza and hamburger, once the calories are, uh, well, I should say that that all lasts as long as the calories do on the mountain, I mean, <laughs> you know, they're gone and it was gone. It was like, okay, we're back to it. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. It takes a sting off for a second though, no. which which is good. Yeah, but I, and I, again, it, it, it helps you put it back in perspective about why you're there. Why, you know what I mean? Looking at the reasons that you really enjoy it. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, you know, the sunrises, sunsets that we got to witness. Um, one night, the terrible, terrible day where I just cried and cried and cried. And it was like we all had a mental breakdown. That night, um, we sat out around o'clock that night and Milky Way, the stars were out. The cameraman did a long exposure shot of the Milky Way and it was just beautiful. Like you're in awe of just all the stars and you know, it's big sky country. And so it's just stuff like that that kind of brings you back to and gets you a little bit grounded. But Still, it's like, I just want to hear people. Yeah, I want to pull my bow back and send this arrow right through you. Yes, yes. So cool. So, so Pat, you are um, on the TAP team, Titanium Archery Products. Um, yep. So, so give us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, 
I actually learned about tap from uh, Deer Hunter podcast, which is a couple of buddies of ours do this podcast over in Detroit. <clears throat> and as I was listening to uh, Sam, the owner of the company, talk about the company, um, talk about his products, talk about how they work. Um, it really intrigued me. Like just the, the technical stuff he was talking about really kind of got my, my engineering nerd on. And I'd been, I'd been running, like when I first started bull hunting, I didn't really know what the heck I was doing. And I didn't, I wasn't really running, uh, I was running one of those gun savers off and I didn't really know anything. Um, and then I, I was running a, a different company's stabilizer. And, um, so after I heard the podcast, I, I contacted Sam and kind of told him my shooting issues that I had going and, well, uh, that up was, and he, he ran me through stuff and, uh, I ended up getting a, a front bar and a sidebar from him. And, uh, I shot that for a year. And, uh, then after that, that year, um, it was actually after my surgery, I saw the, the, uh, the posting on Instagram for team tap. And I'm like, well, heck yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put in an application. I'm like, I love, I love the company. I love what he's about. His products are phenomenal. His customer service is second to none. And I'm like, this is something that I want to be behind and something that I, I want to support because it's just, it's a great, great company. Sam is, uh, he's, he's, one, of, he's one of a kind, like the, yeah. the, the amount of energy that that guy puts into improving products that in my opinion, do not need improvement is it's phenomenal. And then he finds a way to do it, which is even crazier in my head you know it's just like geez man yeah sam's awesome what uh what stab are you shooting right now with him so i started out with a, a six and an eight um element X. and uh this past winter i bought a 12 inch bar um just because i wanted to see if if that would make a difference and i tried it off the front and i didn't like it so much because my, my sight sticks out pretty far anyway. So all that extra weight really was kind of not good. And then it was tipping me too much. So I threw, I got the 12 on the sidebar, um, with four ounces on it. And then I put the, the eight on the front with uh, one ounce weight. And that one seems to be pretty money right now. Nice. Do you shoot the, uh, the TSS as well or, uh, just the bars right now. Um, I had the, the stop on my other bow that I just got rid of. Um, so I had that. Wait. Yeah, you had that on yours, but uh, I might put one on. Um, I don't know if I might let this one wear out first. I don't know because those things are pretty friggin' awesome. I know that. Oh man, I so I'm running. Well, I run. I have a couple bows, but on my my primary bow is my CT5, and I'm running the 10-inch Hybrid Pro on a QD. So I'm out there about 12 inches, just under 12 inches, and then nice. have the TSS on every bow. 
plus the element X's with the QDs on the other bows. And uh, I, I don't know how he does it, man. Uh, to be honest with you, like, I don't want to make it a, a tap episode. Um, it's just an impressive freaking product. And I've shot a lot of stabs. I've never, ever, ever, ever in all my years have changed a string stop. And I did it and was like, this is stupid. I mean, that thing, it, it just made it so dead in the hand and the string was just, I mean, it's like it hits it and the string is just done. There's no oscillation, nothing. It's just, it's gone. It's done. Shot process over. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. man. I have to wait too when put that on. It's mm -hmm. like, holy crap, where has this been all my life? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, right? I mean, what it, and then what's funny is like, if you start looking at, you know, how Sam markets it, and I've said it on the podcast before, so it's, you know, it's a repeat of me being fascinated by it all. Um, without the TSS, the dampening, we'll call it, of sound and vibration with just, with just the LMNA. And it's just like, dang, you know, how did this thing do it? So then you put the TSS on and it's like, a new, it's almost like a new bow. It's like shooting a new bow, like that dead in the hand it sounds cliche, but that dead in the hand is just ramped up. It's, it's magnified a million times with that thing. It's just, yeah, it's a phenomenal product, man. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe the difference when I first put my first two elements uh, on um, my pin float went pretty much to nothing um and then between that being able to tighten up my groups at long distance shooting and then once you shoot the, i mean those bars take over so it felt i felt less vibration even with just the bars on there right. too yep yeah there it's a man i love i love those products man yeah if you get a yeah, chance you, to shoot a hybrid the Element X you know, is phenomenal. That hybrid is next level. It's funny because when I bought that 12-inch, literally probably like a week or two later, he came out with the hybrid. I'm like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why? But that's the problem. That's the problem when a guy is constantly trying to improve and innovate. You, and I was the same way when I brought that. I'm like, if I buy it, Sam's going to do something to it in two, three weeks. And I'll be looking at it going, damn. Now I got to get that one. Yeah, it's, it's man. But yeah, they're great products, man. Um, no, do you just run, do you just run a hybrid off the front and an X off the side? No, I don't even run. I only run my front. So I have a tight spot and I use my tight spot quiver. I actually turn that back instead of running it straight up and down to kind of counterbalance it. So I'm not running that extra weight, overall weight on the bow. Um, and that's worked out really well for me. Um on that bow it, it was phenomenal because that's one of the things i was concerned with right as you're walking around the woods all day you know you got the sidebar and everything um so i said well let me play with with the with the quiver and see if i can't you know maybe take an ounce or so off the front move my dovetail in a little bit to pull it off and then you know turn that uh turn that tight spot towards the towards the rear there and i got a really good balance on that synergy with it so it worked out pretty well that way but i am curious i think i may i think i may grab a sidebar just out of curiosity in the off season and and just run that and see what it does see if that you know adds anything to uh the accuracy there yeah i know i don't i don't mind carrying a heavy bow bow um Dude, so. I hated my heavy bow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me too much. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, we use 
Um, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, the Slingaling by Jacked Gear. I, well, I saw it. I trolled your Instagram pretty heavy before this. So, yeah, I saw the Slingaling. Dude, those are so awesome. I mean, just being able to carry your bow and it. So, that's great. Love it. But when not nothing about the jacked, I'm just going back to the heavy bow thing. The jacked gear slingling does not help when you have a knocked arrow chasing an elk for 45 minutes <laughs> with your left hand. <laughs> well, it doesn't get in your way. What? The sling doesn't get in your way. No, I said going back to the heavy bow right, thing. Right, just I'm carrying saying, that weight in your hand. Yeah, the slingling's great for when you're hiking around and stuff, but it doesn't help when you're <laughs> carrying around and chasing and can't, you know, take the six pounds away or whatever I'm carrying. I gotta pump out some more shoulder presses. I know, I get arm pump like crazy. <laughs> weekend do the weekend hike with the kettlebell that offset work. Yeah, yeah that was an eye opener for me this year. I'm like, holy crap. But a Matthews will do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, honestly, I mean, you look at the weight of bows. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty even, right? As far as their weight and, and ability. <clears throat> and to me, it's when you start adding everything to it, right? And then you're, you know, you start and and. It's going to sound, it sounds minor and I'm not an ounce guy, right? I don't worry about my pack, you know, and two ounces here, two ounces there, but it really does add up. I mean, you start looking at 560 grain arrows and your quiver <laughs> and your, you know, your dovetail and that weight does, it adds up. It adds yeah. up fast. I don't even want to weigh my bow and see how heavy it is with uh, all my stuff on it. Yeah. <laughs> Four pound bow and you're carrying it around 11. So it's probably up there. Well, that's what I'm saying is they creep fast and I don't think we realize it. I'll pull that quiver off of my bow and I'm going, oh, wow, this is a light bow again. You know, it's just that little bit of weight. I did that when we got home. I shot without my quiver and I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) What a difference. Yeah. And the problem. So what I, you know, with that tight spot, who is it? It's total peep. Total Peep makes a uh, like a belt. I don't know what to call it—a belt holster um, that you can put the tight spot on, so you don't have to carry it on your bow. And I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! I'm getting that." And I'm going, "Wait a minute, I can't." I put this long stab on the front of my bow, and I'm using this to kind of counterbalance that little bit up front. I'd have to change my whole dang setup again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but it sounds like it, cool. It, it really is. But, it you know, it, it goes to that the more money thing. I mean, every time we look at something, you know, it, it's OK. Might as well just go. If you saw it and you stopped to read what it was about, you've already made the purchase. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> it's real. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a, I'm bad with it. I That's my goal this year going into next season is is to not purchase a bunch of a gear. So I just, I am a junkie. I can't help myself. Yeah. Good luck. I I actually wrote, I have a whiteboard here and I wrote it on there gear control and that's all it's for is to, you know, it could be another tag, right? It could be another hunting trip instead of, you know, a bunch of, I got freaking bows. I got a one bow. It goes as a backup bow. (laughs) It's, It's a bad, it's a bad, bad thing. So, What's uh what's 2020 or the rest of this year in 2020 looking like for you guys? Ooh, 
Mm. We actually, it's gotten pretty jam-packed the last couple months. Um, so you, Pat, is potentially doing a bear hunt in the spring in Montana or Idaho, right? Montana, probably. Montana. That's kind of, still have to figure out details for that. But are you going to do archery or rifle? No, I'll be rifle. Rifle for that. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I'm going to South Dakota in June for Prairie Dog. And then July, Montana for fly fishing. And then back to hopefully if we draw Montana for elk hunting next September. And if you don't draw Montana, what's the plan for elk? We have, we each have a point in Wyoming, so we might try to, and I did just look today, Wyoming doesn't steal your money like Montana if you don't draw, <laughs> so <laughs> we uh, we might put in for that too, because you find out shit in February yeah. for, for, for Wyoming, Wyoming if yeah. you draw for that, so. Yeah, Wyoming's early. That's, you know, we could even put in for Wyoming and find out if we draw before we even put in for Montana. You guys know that for Wyoming, when you put in for the draw, that you actually have to apply for the point if you're denied the draw? No. Yeah. So I learned that the hard way. So went to Wyoming last year. I said, okay, I'm going to just put in this year, right? No points, of course. Um, And didn't get drawn. So I said, okay, it's time to buy points. And I think you guys might still have time if you haven't done it. Um and I got on and I'm like, how come I don't have elk points? What What's going on here? So I, okay, let me hurry up. I bought my point. I called Wyo and I'm like, hey, I should have a point, you know? And they told me, no, you have to actually apply for the point separate from the draw. It's a guarantee basically, but it's still a draw. So if you don't apply for that, you don't get that point like you do in most states. For so the- like we, we bought, we bought like last week. Right. Okay. So you're no, you haven't even applied for it. But if you okay, so for so, next year, if you apply, make sure you put in for the point as well. Is I guess is my point. So then, if we don't draw, then we'll have two points. If you apply for the point as well, if you don't apply for the point, then you're gonna go. Why do I only have one point come next year? Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's I think. Well, Montana is, I guess you're automatically, you automatically get a point when you apply. Right. That's how, so, I mean, in, in my experience, that's most states. And I was really surprised yeah. that my, that Wyo didn't do it that way. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good to know. Hmm. It was uh, yeah, kind of hurt. We want to do an antelope hunt next year with another couple. Actually, they, they both hunt in Colorado. So all four of us were going to go out, but they kind of had a rough year too. She, uh, she missed a bull and he wounded a cow. And so I think we're all going to go back out and try to try to get an elk next year. So conservation, um, I'll let you guys touch on it. It's just, you know, one to two minutes. If that just your view on conservation, what should we be doing? What can we do better? Uh, you can go first. Me? Yeah, you're in BHA. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm BHA. Um, I mean, it, 
depends on what you're looking at. If it's if it's the hunting side or just as simple as clean your stuff up when you you know leave the river, leave whatever hunting spot you're at. But um, you all seen the you know conservation is hunting or hunting is conservation. So I, I don't know. I, I'm just. I've been thinking of like five different things I could go with right now. <laughs> so and the reason that I, the reason that I asked that question, right. I'm not trying to put you guys on the spot, but it, it's, it's a funny conversation, right? Because there's so many different views on it. And yeah. as, as minor as it may seem to pick up that bit of trash that you see, or make sure that you're packing your stuff out, um, that, that, is a huge impact if we're all thinking that way. Um, yeah. And it's just a, you know, spawn a thought process. You know, if you don't, it, it's hard for me to answer the question because I ask that question so much and I hear all these different views. Like my view of it all is so screwed up. <laughs> it is, it is just all over the place because there's so many good points and people have so much, you know, there's people with minor insight and then there's people that spend their lives focused on conservation. So you hear all this stuff and it's like, wow. So I just, I, you know, like I said, not to put you guys on the spot. I just like asking the question to hear the different insights of thought, you know, to spawn a different thought process. That's fine. And it's hard because for instance, like if Michigan puts out like the DNR puts out, Oh, Hey, we're thinking of changing this regulation, whatever it may be. Like, for instance, brook trout, you know, upping the limit on certain rivers for brook trout or lowering it. Like, you think that you have your own opinion, but then you see what other people are thinking. And it's like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense, too. So you're kind of lost as to, like, what... I don't want to say what the right thing is, but what would make sense. For, like, anything that gets changed or that the DNR puts out there like we might potentially be changing this it's like well you can play devil's advocate on all these changes so what is really what is the right thing to do yeah it's so a, it's, it's an interesting it's, conversation it's, i hate saying it but it's it's political yeah you know it, it really is it's a very touchy subject with a lot of people oh yeah and that, that's what makes kind of hard to talk about I, yeah. I, honestly i think when it when it gets to that point where we're confused about it or we're seeing it be a lot of bureaucracy or we're questioning it, we just have to go back to the dictionary definition of it i mean exactly. that really is the easiest way to do it right so it's the prevention of wasteful use of a resource that's the easiest way to step in my opinion to step away from all the bs and all the rhetoric and all the hype and all the different ah, i like the opinions but you know the different stances you know whatever side of the aisle you happen to be on that's the easiest way so if we go back to that dictionary definition of it it should take all that crap away hey this is what we're focused on right here in its yep. simplest yep. term, right? I mean, that's it. And obviously not, you know, we don't want to sell off all the, the public lands and we don't want all this privatized and, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but you want it to just stay as, as wild as possible, you know, to, to have access to be able to hunt and fish and do all that. If you have an acre in a subdivision, 
to be able to go out and do all that stuff. And so. Cool. Well, I greatly appreciate your time. Um, how can folks find you guys and follow along if they're uh, interested in doing that? Um, maybe on Instagram, probably. That's where that's where I most of the hunting hunting stuff. Yeah, me too. Um, um my handle is Amber K nine eighteen. And mine is uh case C A S E underscore eighty eight eighty eight. And we both we both both have Facebook accounts too. Yeah. But Yeah, I struggle with Facebook. Yeah, I just do the automatic post to Facebook from Instagram. It's easier. (laughs) Right. My my Facebook, I've noticed, is more like family oriented, like because a lot of my family has Facebook, but they don't have Instagram. So I don't know. But But yeah, looking forward to filling the freezer and uh, maybe. Yeah, hopefully. I appreciate you having us on. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, appreciate you guys' time and best of luck to you this season. Wish you the best. You too, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hey everyone, this is Andrew with Sasquatch Fuel. If you're heading into the backcountry this season and you need some meals that don't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. Our 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head to SasquatchFuel.com. Hey guys, enter code Western Contours at checkout and save a few bucks off your order.